get this ugly thing out of the way. All right. Morning, everybody. So we are going to continue today in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Uh, the next, we started last week and, and through the next couple of chapters, we're calling it starting point. This is, we see Jesus starting uh, his, uh, his outreach ministries through the disciples and, and talking about, you know, how we start our walk with him, right? Being a disciple, a follower, a student of Jesus, how do we, uh, how do we take our first steps in, in that process. And it, uh, you know, it timed out pretty nicely because we're at a time of year when uh, we're, we're kind of starting up some new ministries or, or restarting some ministries. So there's a lot of opportunities right now for everyone to take, you know, some initial steps in their walk with Jesus. So um, I wish we could say that, you know, we planned it out that way. But anybody that knows uh, our ministry staff knows that, no, that is not that is not how it worked out. God just uh, worked in spite of us. So, uh, but we're going to be in Matthew 10. Uh, we're we're going to cover 16 through 31-ish. Ish. Uh, we'll also hit a couple other verses. But this is, uh, we're in an interesting part of the Gospel of Matthew. Because it's, it's no walk in the park. Uh, Jesus has, you know, up until this point, he's dropped all kinds of truth bombs, right? We spent a lot of time... In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, uh, you know, he's been performing miracles, healing people, um, calm storms, all kinds of stuff. But believe it or not, that was the easy part of the Gospel of Matthew. From here on out, it gets, it gets harder and harder because the rest of the book is more and more about Jesus talking about his kingdom. Jesus talking about what happens before he returns. Um, you know, the end times, the Antichrist, uh, all the stuff they make really bad Hollywood movies about. Uh, and also there's going to be a little thing called the crucifixion and resurrection that happens. Uh, so it, it, gets, it starts moving uh, pretty quick from here. And so chapter 10, where we're at, is kind of the pivot point in the Gospel of Matthew where, uh, it, where all of that starts. And so last week, uh, Pastor Chris covered the first you know, portion of, the, of this chapter we saw Jesus sending his disciples out for the first time to go, hey, you go out and do what I've been doing without me with you. Uh, and so, you know, he, he sent them off in pairs, and, and, uh, and specifically he told them, I want you to go and do this work in Israel. I want you to go and preach to the lost sheep of Israel, to the, to the Jews who, you know, have been waiting for me to come. And so, because of that, it's, it's tempting to assume that the instructions that he gives throughout the rest of this chapter all apply to them, right? He said, I'm sending you out, here's what I want you to do, and then he starts giving some instructions. But, in fact, Jesus, he presents, basically, in this chapter, he presents three different kinds of disciples. Three groups of disciples who are in, like, three different periods of time. So, so we've got the, the first... Um, Five, verses 5 through 15, he's giving instructions specifically to, you know, these are the men that become the apostles, right? The disciples that had been walking with Jesus, and he sends them out, and he gives them instructions. Then he shifts to disciples who will come in the future, uh, right before he returns. Right? And, then he get, and then he talks to uh, disciples throughout all time, no matter what time in history you may fall. 
Uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit confusing to see him kind of jump around in the timelines. Uh, and there are some things that are specific to where you fall in that timeline. But most of it, are, there's, there are still some concepts here that no matter where we are in history, they still apply to us. Okay? So all that is just a preamble to say, um, you know, good luck. This is gonna <laughs> the next few chapters, are, you've got to really stop and check your, your uh, context and see who Jesus is talking to and what he's talking about. Um, before we get into all of that, let's ask God to help us understand this. We'll say a little prayer real quick. Lord, we thank you for giving us uh, the opportunity to gather together today to worship you. Lord, that, um, that you give us the opportunity to uh, partake in, in, and participate in the work that you're doing in our community. Pray that you bless their, our offering, that, uh, that our hearts will be right, and, and that our leadership will be wise and discerning and use it in a way that uh, furthers your kingdom uh, and pleases you. And Lord, we, uh, we pray that you bless the message today, that, uh, that our hearts will be open to hearing your word, to receiving it, to being changed by it. Lord, we all have things in our lives that, that hinder us, that keep us from uh, walking as closely with you as we could, and can sometimes flat out drown out your voice in our lives. We just pray that all of those things, Lord, would be cast aside for this next bit of time that we could hear you, know you better, and leave here uh, more prepared to serve you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, it's Matthew 10. We're going to go back and read just a couple verses, get a little bit of context here. Uh, verse 5, right, it says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. He says, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. And in verse 14, he said, If any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. So Jesus, he starts out with, you know, instructing the disciples of his time to go and, and preach to the people of Israel and to come, he basically says, you know, to come to these, these people as a blessing. When you enter their home, bless their home. You know, let, let what you're doing be a blessing to them. Uh, and if they don't receive you, don't be pushy. Just move on, right? Shake the dust off your feet. Keep moving and, and preaching my word. And so like any good coach, right, when, you, when you're about to enter the field, when you're about to go back out after halftime or whatever it is, uh, you like to remind your team, right, who are we? Right? Because you always, yeah, those of you that played sports, you know you always have that, uh, whatever, Knights or Cougars on three or, you know, something like that. So Jesus, he, he says, you know, I'm sending you out. You're, you're my troops. You're my team. We're going to go out. Here's our game plan. Now, who are we? And he chooses a mascot for them. Verse 16. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He's like, ready? On three. Go sheep. <laughs> you know, what, what are mascots normally, right? you know, cougars and lions and bears, you know, uh, um, and tigers and bears, yeah, oh my. <laughs> These are things that strike fear into the heart of your opponent, and he's like, go fighting sheep. 
And, you know, we've talked about that off and on uh, throughout this gospel because this isn't the first time he, he's, he's mentioned that we're sheep. But still, you know, sheep uh, are just the worst. They're just the worst. They, you know, they will eat anything. Right? They, so they will eat whatever is in front of them, whether it's good or bad for them. So much to the point that, that they need a shepherd who will lead them to lie down on green pastures so they don't eat the wrong things. And sheep will they'll wander out into turbulent waters and not realize that they're in trouble until it's too late. They'll just walk out and drown themselves. So they need a shepherd who will lead them by still waters. And sheep have been, I, I actually uh, talked to someone who kept, we only had a couple when I was a kid, but uh, I talked to someone who kept sheep for a while, and he said that, uh, you know, they, they've been known to just bash their heads against rocks whenever there's a fly or mosquito flying around in their sight line. Now it's like they're, you know, they have no natural defense, and so there's a mosquito I'm going to try to get rid of it by bashing my head against a rock. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think that's probably the most profound thing about sheep. You know, the thing I relate to the most. When some little thing is distracting me, I'm like, I know what I'll do. Something that really damages me in order to, to deal with this. Right? <laughs> and so, Jesus didn't choose this metaphor just because they're dumb. Because right, that's what we always love to point out, that sheep are stupid and so are people. You know, that's why I went into ministry, because people are dumb. No. Uh, or we like to think, well, of course he chose sheep, because sheep are fluffy and gentle, and we just prance through the, you know, into the loving arms of Jesus. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think he chose this you know, for a variety of reasons, but one of the things that maybe we don't think of often is that Sheep are defenseless against predators. Their only hope of survival is to not stray too far from the flock and for the whole flock to stay close to the shepherd. They're totally dependent on the shepherd, his rod and staff. And so I think, you know, he sends his disciples out into the world. He says, I am sending you out amongst predators against whom... You have no defense except me. I am your best and only hope. You know, he sends us out into a hostile world, but as sheep. And so we're not to go out and conquer the world through, through might or through terrorism or suicide bombs or, uh, or by crushing our enemies. But to go out defenseless, trusting our shepherd to handle it. That's a tall order. That is a tall order. And so because of that, he gives some further instruction, right? Because I don't think the disciples were particularly inspired by this, right? I'm sending you out as sheep amongst the things that devour sheep. So the second half of that verse, he says, So be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. That's a tricky one, right? For one, Nobody likes to be called a snake, right? That's not a trait that 
we particularly honor in our society. But snakes have this, they have this uncanny gift for survival. You ever see those reports on TV where like, you know, 28-foot snake found living in the walls of someone's house or whatever? I'm, I'm the only one that watches that stuff. I'm always amazed by that. <laughs> but, you know, they, if you think about it, like snakes, they have no hands, they have no legs, and their only weapon is their mouth. And yet they survive. Yet they survive. The, the snake's shrewdness, right, is, it's, a, it's a mixture of insight to your surroundings, like being hypervigilant of what's going on around you, and then it's wisdom to do the right thing at the right time. It's not particularly easy to catch a snake or to kill a snake. There are people that are good at it, but that's a skill that is not on my resume. Snakes have found out, have figured out how to survive, and they're shrewd. It's uh, William Hendrickson calls this, sh- this word shrewdness uh, sanctified common sense. Right? So it's, it's being aware of the right thing to do at the right time. It's, it's not being a sucker. Right? It's being aware of when to, when to move on, when to strike, that kind of thing. So Jesus says, okay, I want you to, you know, I'm not sending you out to, do, to just be dummies. I want you to be aware of who you're talking to. Is this the right time and the right place to talk to this person? And then he says, I want you to be harmless as doves. And, and then, as now, doves represent what? Peace, right? Uh, your translation, actually, instead of harmless, it may say, uh, innocent, depending on which translation you have. And the word used here, though, really literally means unmixed or untainted. Okay, it, it carries this idea of, of being focused on a singular task and, and honesty. Right, so shrewd, no, it means you know when to strike, and you know when to draw back. And then innocent and, and harmless as doves, it just, it just means, you know, that you're characterized by being honest. That if someone accuses you of something, they either have to be speaking ill of what God calls good, and in our world that happens, right? Or they have to be lying. That's the, the, the type of life we're supposed to live, the reputation we're supposed to have. And Peter echoes that in one of his epistles, that, that that's the kind of life we, we should be striving after. And so, that, that again, this is a tall order, right? It's, it's shrewd and harmless are two words that don't ordinarily go together. But it's, it's looking for opportunities, right? And not, but not being so overzealous to the point that we're offensive. And maybe you know that person, that they're bold for Jesus to the point of they're kind of a jerk about it. Nobody point at me right now. Okay. But you know that person. That, oh, that's great that you're bold for Jesus, but nobody likes you. Nobody, you know, everyone hates to see you coming because you're, you're offensive. With the, the thing that should offend people is the message, not the messenger. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's part of being shrewd is, is being, being bold, being zealous, but knowing the right time to do it. And then the other, you know, but... 
it can also get out of balance the other way. When we talk about being harmless and innocent as doves, uh, we're to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Right? It's, uh, that, that can get out of balance in a hurry where I'm, I'm so, you know, I, I'm so focused on being peaceful that I'm afraid to offend anyone and afraid to ever speak my mind, afraid to ever speak up, afraid to share the gospel because it might offend somebody. Okay, so there's a balance that we have to strike between those two things. And, and, you know, to be, it's really hard to be shrewd and harmless at the same time. Which is precisely why Jesus calls us to do just that. That's one of the funny things about God's word, is he never instructs us to do anything that we would just naturally do. Specifically, you want to read through Ephesians, where it talks about the roles of husbands and wives. There's a bunch of stuff in there that, you know, he he instructs the husband to love his wife and for the wife to honor her husband. But he never instructs the, uh, you know, them to do the inverse. Not meaning a wife shouldn't love her husband and a husband shouldn't honor his wife, but he says those are things that are hardwired into you. Men are terrible at showing love. So I'm going to tell you, you have to do it. And women, like it or not, are not particularly great at showing honor and respect to their husbands. And so I'm going to tell you, you have to do it. Because it doesn't come naturally to you. I want you to live a life that is supernatural. And so he tells us this, that you know, to be shrewd and harmless, to strike while the iron's hot, but not be a jerk about it, basically. He goes on, verse 17, he says, But beware. For you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers, or Gentiles is actually the word there, about me. So here's how we know Jesus, he's, he's, he's flipped and he started talking about the future. Here's how we know. Okay, verse 5, he forbid these disciples to go to the Gentiles, right? He said, I'm sending you to go to talk to who? The Jews, right? The lost sheep of Israel. And specifically, don't go to the Gentiles right now, because that's not your role. And here he says, so when you're talking to the Gentiles, right, he's, he's talking about someone else. Uh, Also, he refers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is something that's going to come later. We'll see this. Verse 19. He says, when you are arrested, don't worry about how you respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. Now, I've heard people use this verse so, so wrong. This is not an excuse for you to not prepare, right? Like, I don't have to actually read, because if you know, someone asked me, God will give me the words. Well, I mean, yeah, he, God can do anything, but he also tells us to, you know, to study, you know, be a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. But it basically, you know, know your Bible. Because you, you'd be surprised when you put more of him in you, what might come out, right? It's, it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's what's inside of us that comes out. But he goes on, he says, verse 20, he says, For it is not you who will be speaking, it will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
Basically, he says, there's going to be a time where you might be put on trial for your faith. I don't want you to worry. I don't want you to have stage fright there. The Holy Spirit is going to empower you to speak in that time, in that moment. And that's great, except that the Holy Spirit indwelling disciples is something that only other than a few occurrences occurred after Christ was crucified. Right? This was one of the things he promised to his disciples. He says, hey, I have to go so that the helper can come. I'm going to go back up to heaven. The Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside you so that you can live for me. So he's referring to some time in the future, after he's already been crucified and resurrected, when persecution is going to be so harsh that people are going to be put on trial for their faith. Now, there are places in the world, even today, where that's a reality. But in general, it's not. In our, you know, in, in, in our Western society, real persecution of that nature is something that we rarely, if ever, experience. And we can, we can look at that and say, well, it's because we're a Christian nation. Or it could be that, you know, Timothy says that uh, if you live a godly life, you will experience persecution. Maybe we're not, maybe we're not living so much for him. I don't know. That's, that's a topic probably for another time. But Jesus here, like I said, he's referring to a time when persecution is going to be at an all-time high. It's going to be really dangerous to be one of his followers. And he said, to this point, in verse 21, he says, A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will, re will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. So again, we have probably tough family relationships. But it's not very often that parents are ha having their kids killed and, and vice versa because of their faith. He's referring to a, a time just before his return when being a Christ follower will be a capital offense. Now there's a word for that. Right? It's, it's the tribulation period is, is the, the, the word that we throw around most often. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But this is where Jesus is first starting to introduce this, this great time of turmoil that's going to happen in the world. So we can look at that and go, okay, well, he's talking to people that live during that time, and that's not the time we live in right now, so none of this applies to me. Well, that's too easy. Okay, so there are still some, some principles that apply to us, right? So, for instance, like, don't be afraid to share your faith. Right? No matter what time you live in, no matter what country you live in, no matter what it's like in your life, don't be afraid to share your faith because of the possibility that maybe, you know, what if someone might ask a question I don't know the answer to? Right? That's, we probably all felt like that at one point or another. If you're getting more of God's word into you, there's a good, uh, good chance you may know more than you think. There are times when, when I've given an answer to someone that I go, Wow, I didn't know that. And, wait, and I go, wait, I must have known that. I just said it, right? Uh, but you, you'd be surprised what gets in there. And choosing to follow Jesus can cause division, right? It, it can cause strain on relationships. People that are opposed to, to Jesus may not be thrilled with the decisions you make. But it's not... It's not about 
that. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. He said, I am sending you. Right? I am sending you as sheep among wolves. And people are going to suffer for my name's sake. I look at this, it's kind of like when, when I send one of my kids upstairs to get one of my other kids, you know, to come take the trash out or do some chore. Uh, they might grumble at their sibling, but they learn pretty early on they, they better daggone well come downstairs, right? Because it's not their sibling telling them to come take the trash out. It's dad. You know, they are there as my messenger. And you can be mad about the message, but don't be mad at the messenger. You know, this is between me and you, not the messenger and you. Just using the take the trash out thing as an example, not that that, that ever happens with any kid in particular. <laughs> but yeah, they, le they learn that lesson really quickly that, you know, I'm not asking, I'm telling you. And, and you need to listen to the, the message, not the messenger. And so in the same way, Jesus says, look, people are going to have a problem with this message when you bring it. But I want you to remember that it's not about you. It's about me. It's about the message that you're bringing. Verse 22, he says, all the nations will hate you because you are my followers. Boy, doesn't that sound great? Don't you want to be a Christ follower now? You're going to be persecuted. People want to kill you and everyone hates you. Sign me up. Right? But here, here's, the, here's the catch. Here's why this doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. Is the world will only hate you if they see Jesus in you. They're only going to hate you if they see Jesus in you. And so that's, that's why, you know, most often when we preach about persecution, we always say, well, in America, we don't really know what real persecution is. And that's, that's real, we, you know. No one is leaving here today in fear that they may be killed if they're seen with their Bible. Um, but maybe part of why we don't know real persecution here is maybe people don't really see Jesus in us that much. Now, Jesus says something even more challenging. He says that they're going to hate you because of me. And he says this. He says, but everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Now, some people like to point to this verse out of context. And they'll say, see, only people who do good works or behave righteously, which is, that's code for people who sin differently than me, right? That's what righteousness is in most people's minds. Um, you know, if they don't, if you don't do good stuff your whole life, then you won't be saved, right? And all the people who do good things their whole life will be saved. But Jesus actually says the exact opposite of that, right? In John six forty seven, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who what? Anyone who believes has eternal life. Has, not will have if you persist in doing good things until you die. De death is not our Savior. And for many faiths, that's, that is the case. Is, you know, if I die in some grand gesture, or hopefully I die while I'm doing good things and not bad things, 
That's not the case with Jesus. He says, you, you trust me for eternal life, then you have it. And eternal means eternal. It doesn't mean temporary. So what's he getting at, right? He, he did just say, everyone who endures to the end will be saved. Endures to the end of what? And, and, and saved from what? Right? Those are the big questions. So, luckily, Jesus is not dumb, and he brings this stuff up in other places. Uh, Matthew 24, verse 3, says, Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when, all, uh, when will all this happen? I love this, that Jesus would teach some difficult things. And even like what we've been studying, he's talking to the disciples and saying some things that they're, I'm sure some of them were looking at each other like, you know what? You know what he's talking about? And later, you know, they, you know, they support him, and then later they're like, uh, could you clarify some things? Right? So they, they come to him privately, and they say, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And so he describes a series of events, which he says are going to serve as, as birth pains, right? These are like early warning signs that he's coming. And specifically, you know, he, he talks about some things that would, could happen at any time, right? Uh, the wars and rumors of wars. You know, some people like to you know, that are really into prophecy, prophecy, like to point to that. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much every year of every century of all time, right? But he says there's going to be uh, wars and earthquakes, and there's going to be all these things, that, but specifically, he, he starts talking about some of the things that Daniel prophesied about. That there will be a one-world government with a charismatic leader at the top of it, and this charismatic leader is going to unite government and religion into one thing, and some, a lot of what he does is going to be centered on the Middle East. And eventually it's going to turn and he's going to begin to persecute Jews and Christians. Right? These are the things Jesus says are going to happen right before his return. And it's going to get ugly, right? It's going to get really ugly. All those things that he was talking about in chapter 10, they're going to start to persecute you. They're going to take you to court for being a believer. They are going to put you to death for being a believer. And it gets so bad in verse 21, he says, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity, uh, your King James would say tribulation, is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. So this is what he says. If they can endure to the end of this, they will be delivered. That's what the word saved means. Right? So it, if, you know, if, you, if they endure to the end of this time of great persecution, then he will deliver them. And he basically says, look, I'm going to cut this short. I'm going to put an end point on this period because if I didn't, all of you would die. And I don't want that for you. And so they're going to be saved from death or martyrdom during that time. So we're getting into some, some deep stuff, right? So it, it, we're going to cover this more and more as Matthew continues. Uh, for now, though, Jesus is just beginning to introduce the idea. Now, this isn't the first time that this stuff is talked about in Scripture. 
Matter of fact, it, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament. But this is the first time that Jesus is really starting to clarify how some of these things are going to play out. And, and they specifically relate to his disciples, the people that are going to go out and preach the good news. So he, uh, he says in verse 23, verse Matthew 10, verse 23, he says, when you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. Again, these are the people living during that time that we were just talking about. I tell you the truth, the Son of Man will return before you have reached all the towns of Israel. Now, there's some debate that maybe he's getting into some other prophetic stuff that maybe we don't understand. I think it's probably more simple than that. It's just, he says, if you're a disciple during this time, preach the gospel, people are going to be out to kill you. If you're a disciple during this time, continue to preach the gospel. If they come after you, run to the next town and do it again. Because time is short and hell is a long time. You know, continue to preach the gospel. So being a disciple during the time that Jesus is describing doesn't sound particularly appealing, right? So Jesus shifts his focus and instruction to us, right? To any Christ follower of any time. Verse 24. He says, students are not greater than their teacher. And slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher, and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. So he's, he's bringing up that, remember the, some of the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus healing, they are like, oh, he's doing that through demonic powers. Right? He says, look, they, they accused me, the son of God, of being demonic, of being evil. You really think, they're, if you're following me, that some of that doesn't get on you? He says, I know it doesn't sound like fun, necessarily, to follow me, and it may even seem unfair. But if you're going to follow the one who, who gave it all, suffered unjustly, and sacrificed himself, can you honestly expect to have no hardship in your life? Now, we love to hear the uplifting messages of how we can be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? And I'm not saying that it's all doom and gloom following Jesus. There are plenty of things about how to have life and have it abundantly, how to have more joy and satisfaction and peace in your life. But if you really think that following Jesus is all about making me happy all the time and never having any suffering in my life, I don't know which Jesus you're following. It's a dangerous prayer. And maybe you've done this when we pray, Jesus, make me more like you. It's a dangerous thing to pray for. Because last I checked, they killed Jesus. Right? So when I pray that, I'm like, make, Jesus, make me more like you in the good, easy stuff. <laughs> Without all the suffering and stuff. <laughs> So, you know, maybe, though, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I've never really experienced any sort of suffering or opposition because of my faith. And like I mentioned before, you know, most of us won't, probably never will encounter the kind of persecution Jesus is talking about here. 
But I caution you to check yourself. If you've never ran into any opposition in your life because of your faith, you know, you'll never run into the devil if you're walking in the same direction he is. All right, if you never have any opposition, maybe it's because no one sees Jesus in you. But when we decide to go our own way, right, and when we decide not to follow him, when we decide uh, that our own course is more expedient, maybe just in this situation, it's better that I don't say what I think or believe. When we do that kind of thing, when we, instead of listening to Christ's clear commands, we're deciding that, you know, I am above him. I am the master in this case. I know Jesus says this is what I'm supposed to do, but I really think this is going to work out better for me. So in this case, I know more than him. And maybe we don't think of that clearly and specifically, but that's what's going on. Verse 25, I like how the New King James renders this. He says, it is enough. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. It is enough. It is enough to be like Jesus. Even if it costs a relationship, even if it, it means that I don't get this sale or whatever, it is enough to stand for him. It, it is enough to be more like him. I don't have to be loved or even liked by everyone. I, I'm okay with not winning this argument so that I can win this relationship. It's a tough one for me. My wife one time said to me that, here you go again, and with you it's always facts. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, I'm not supposed to use facts? I don't understand, right? And, and, and I'm still learning this, but I've, I've had to learn that, you know, sometimes even, a, even if I can prove someone wrong, it's not worth it. <laughs> Trust me, fellas, <laughs> it's not worth it. Uh <laughs> Here's the, here's the tough one, right? I'm okay with forgiving someone when they have not made it up to me or earned it. That's what he calls us to do. But we really don't like that one. That's a scary concept, right? What if, what if trying to be more Christ-like blows up in my face? Right? What if I forgive this person and they never learn the, their lesson or they do it again? That's a fear that can cripple us, that can keep us from doing what we're actually called to do. And fear will hinder our progress as a disciple more than anything else. Fear is, is what you feel when your sense of order is threatened, right? When, when a priority other than your own 
comes into the, in, into the situation. That's what we feel when that happens, when, when there are no unknowns and what-ifs, right? Jesus tells me to forgive this person, but what if they... Right? That's fear creeping in. And he never, he never gives us those, those outs. He says, don't be afraid, verse 26. Don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Right? He says, what if they get one over on you because you've trusted me? Don't worry. This is all going to be... It, 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 what's done in the dark will come out in the light. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad, uh, abroad when daybreak comes. When I, what I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops, housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This sounds heavy. I think Jesus is kind of being a little bit funny. He's like, what's the worst that can happen? So they kill you. <laughs> then you're in heaven with me. I mean, what's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? What is the price of two sparrows, one copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. And for some of you, that's a lot easier statement to believe. Uh, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. He says, well, people talk about you when, and, and do you wrong for following Jesus? Maybe. But Jesus promises that all that stuff is going to kind of come out in the wash in the end. And more than anything, he says, I'm, I'm keeping track. Don't think any of it escapes my notice. And I don't tell you that for you to be fearful. I'm telling you that when you're wronged, don't worry. I, I'm keeping that ledger for you. You don't have to keep track of every wrong that has happened. I've got you. And, and I promise that you will not lose by investing in your relationship with me. It, it may feel like you have in certain situations in the short term but Jesus has got you. And so whatever you're holding on to or, or, or holding back, whatever you're afraid to surrender to Jesus, uh, he says it's not nearly as valuable as what you'll gain by knowing him better and having more of him in your life. Paul put it this way, and we'll close with this. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. This is Philippians 3. But now I consider them worthless because of what, what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. He says, look, there were plenty of things that used to matter to me more than they should. And in the end, I realized that Knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus, following Jesus has been worth whatever it may have cost. All right, let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you that, as we sang about earlier, that 
that you never change, that though the times and the circumstances may change for us, uh, you are ever faithful. You've made promises to us that if we would follow you, Lord, that, uh, that we would not, that would not be a point of regret for us. Lord, when we trust you with our lives, with our finances, with our families, when we do what doesn't come naturally to us, when we allow you to work supernaturally through us, God, we know that amazing things happen. And more than anything, Lord, we know that, uh, that we've got a long way to go, but you're going to be with us. And we thank you for that, for the comfort of that. We pray that you bless each and every one of us, Lord, to, to surrender whatever we've been holding back from you, whatever area that has been hindering our walk with you, whatever area where maybe we've not allowed you to be Lord of our lives. Lord, let us, uh, let us relent. Let us hand those things over to you. God, we, uh, we just pray that if anyone's here or listening online that hasn't put their trust in you for eternal life yet, that they would do so today. We know that, uh, that time is short, that eternity is a long time, and hell is very hot, but your love covers all of it. Lord, we, uh, we thank you more than anything for your son, and we pray that you come and come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready?